glad that you're here. Let me, let me pray for us. We're going to continue our time in 1 Corinthians. We've been here since January, uh, and particularly these three weeks, these last three weeks, this being the third, uh, talking about God's design for sexuality. Let's pray. We need God's help um, in this. God, we, um, we need you to speak, God. Um, we need that every day and every moment for every decision, every part of our lives. But God, sometimes uh, in moments like this, we feel it so uh, deeply. We know how uh, personal these issues are, how intimate uh, they, they reach us and affect us. And so, God, we, uh, we're dependent on you. Um, God, I pray that you would keep me from saying anything that's unhelpful or uh, just that's stupid. God, I, just, I pray that um, instead we would, we would hear from you um, through your word um, so that Jesus Christ, our Savior, would be praised. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as a, a pastor, I get to watch weddings uh, from kind of the best seat in the house, right? I mean, I'm, I'm front and center, three feet from the bride and groom. I mean, honestly, it's actually a little bit too close. I have, I have personal space issues, and so I'm always like, if there's stuff back, I keep moving back the whole time. Um, I mean, honestly, I, it's so close, I can't even watch when they're kissing, Right? It feels like I'm involved in some, some way, right? It's just, it's just weird for me completely. And sometimes I feel like I just need a rain jacket up there, right? It's just, it is too close in so many ways, right? Um, it's mostly fun, right, to be a part of weddings and uh, to do that as a pastor, as part of my role. Uh, it's mostly an enjoyable thing. But sometimes it's also, or actually all the time, it's, it's also pretty sobering, right? Um, because it's a reminder of, of this unique thing uh, that God is doing in joining one man and one woman together uh, for life. And for me, it's especially sobering when, and I don't mean any disrespect by this at all, uh, but you know, sometimes like as a pastor, random people will ask me to, to do their wedding, right? Um, and I kind of feel a little bit, again, I don't mean any dis- disrespect, but like, because I kind of want to pretend that one day they take all this stuff seriously, right? You know what I mean? Um, that, that this is the day. I don't, know if, I don't know if Jesus is just sort of like tradition for us still, and so we want to, to have that as part of, of our weddings, or, or if we just think he's kind of a good luck charm, right? Uh, if I do this, then I'm, I'm off in this way, then I'm off, I'm off on the right foot. Um, regardless, I love to be able to do that, to be a part. It's, it's a privilege. I say yes. I always, I always warn them, if I, if I do your wedding, I'm going to talk about Jesus a lot, uh, thinking that maybe they'll kind of, you know, fire me, um, but they don't, and, and I do, right? Because it, it's a privilege, and I think Jesus is absolutely crucial uh, to our understanding of every subject, and, and not least of which, one as intimate and, as, and as, as, as deep within us as marriage. But it's also a little, a little sobering. Every marriage is sobering, every wedding, and, here, and here's why. I mean, marriage is hard, right? No surprises there. I, mean, I, love, I love being married. I love being married to my wife. I married the most incredible woman. Um, in fact, a week from tomorrow, we get four days, just the two of us, right? No kids. Uh, and I just I can't wait to spend that time with her. Um, she is such a delight in my life. And yet marriage is hard, right? We all, we all know that. We, we, we know that, that it, there's, there's difficulty with that. And, and honestly, um, it's hard enough with Jesus. Um, I can't even imagine trying to do this without him. And so that's why, particularly those, those marriages, I, I feel, uh, it's why I talk about Jesus so much in, in the midst of the wedding context and why I, I feel uh, so sort of uh, discouraged by those moments. It's so hard because at the end of the day, marriage isn't about you, right? Your marriage, if you're married, it's not about you, it's not about, it's not about me, it's about something so much more, it's about him. 
Now, some of you here, you've, you've got great marriages. It's awesome. We always have room to grow. Others, others of you, you're on the other side of that, that, that spectrum. Maybe you're at a place where you're beginning to think about divorce. Or maybe you've just sort of settled for unhappiness. And then I'm guessing many of us are probably somewhere in the middle, right? It's not awesome, but you're not killing each other either. And then, then of course, there's, there's plenty of us who, who are single, right, and are, are seeing this through that lens. Even the series, as, we, as we've talked about God's design for sexuality and, and some of the u- uniquenesses there. Let me just say a couple things uh, there. First of all, uh, Paul, in this passage that we read, that you heard Jeanette read just a moment ago, talks about singleness uh, and what it means to, to live that, that life. And in, in two weeks, he's going to unpack more of what he means. And we're going to spend an entire morning talking about what does it mean uh, to live a, a single life and to, to live that well. Uh, Jeanette, who is, who is up here, she's our pastor of all of our sort of missional partnerships as a church. Uh, she also happens to be single. She'll be bringing that message two weeks from today. I'm so excited that she can do that and be a part of that for us. Um, but it's, we don't just have to wait, right, if you're single, um, even this, this morning, as we talk about this, and really as we talk about sexuality as a whole, God is speaking to all of us. And even this morning has, has something to say for, for your relationships, all of them, the way that you experience who you are and the way that you uh, interact and give yourself away in every, in every context. It also reminds us of, of the expectations that are so often uh, broken as we think about marriage, um, some of the experiences that we've had or the things that we think of. And so regardless of who you are, regardless of your circumstance, um, God is speaking here uh, through his word this morning. But we've got to back up just, just a second. Because um, some of you are like, how do, we, how do we get here, right? Especially if you're, if you're new here, you're a guest, and I, we've done this each week, right? Because it's such a unique uh, topic for us. Uh, so let me just explain. We've been studying 1 Corinthians since January. Uh, we take this book very seriously, and so we're looking through it together. We'll be here until June. Um, but these last three weeks, this is the third of those three weeks, uh, Paul has been talking about God's design for, for sexuality. Uh, and because Paul has taken us there, uh, that's, that's where we've, we've been um, in these passages the last, the last few weeks. Um, Paul's been talking a lot about sex, right? Uh, and some of you are like, thanks a lot, Paul. Appreciate that. Um, anybody else ready to kind of move on, right? Kids, especially, right? Can we just be done here? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, okay? Uh, and yet, you know, it's so interesting to me because this is not something that we, we shy away from. Uh, in fact, I think it'd be uh, pastoral negligence uh, if we didn't talk about sexuality uh, as a church because it's such a core part of, of who we are. Um, but I'm, it's always so interesting. Whenever we talk about these things, um, there are always the weeks that we get the most feedback from people um, thanking us for being willing to go there because we know, right? Don't we know how desperate we are, how, how broken we are um, in, this, in this area? If you missed the last two Sundays, I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast. But regardless, I do promise this will be the last one for a really long time, okay? All right? We're, we're almost there. Well, we've said this each week, right, with these uh, three Sundays, uh, that if there's anything Paul is saying, anything, like if you remember one thing from three weeks on God's design for sexuality from 1 Corinthians, uh, let, it, let it be this. You don't belong to you anymore if you're a Christian, right? You're not yours. I'm not mine, right? My body, my expectations, my desires, uh, my self-expression, none of that belongs to me anymore. All of it, all of it is his, which radically transforms our view of sexuality. And so here we are this morning, particularly talking about sex within the context of marriage. And it's still not about you or me. I guess in some ways it's easier than what we've been talking about, maybe. 
And I kind of feel like I can, I can loosen my bulletproof vest just a tiny bit. And yet at the same time, this is the one that gets most personal for most of us, isn't it? In some ways, this is the week that kind of moves from theory of the last two Sundays just to downright meddling in our lives. So thanks a lot, Paul, right? Because you know, right, if you're, if you're married, you're not surprised. You know you still have problems, right? Marriage doesn't fix any of that. In fact, if anything, marriage is like just having a spotlight that lives in your house that shines right on all the things that are messed up, right? You, you see them more clearly as a result. And in Corinth, of all places, here in this ancient church, if you remember the context, some of the Christians there, even the married ones, are having sex with prostitutes. And Paul's like, that's, that's not cool. Uh, you can't do that. Um, and then on the other side, right, uh, some of the Christians, including the married ones, are saying that sex is just, it's icky, it's gross. It's, you know, refusing it even, even within the context of marriage. It's saying that it shouldn't have any place there in the marriage relationship. And again, Paul is like, that's just not cool. That's not the way it works. Which, which kind of makes sense in that in the second half of this passage, he begins answering questions about divorce for them, right? I mean, you think about all that they're experiencing, they're going through, of course they've got questions about divorce and when, they, when or if they can get out. So Paul here, uh, he, he gives us, you know, three flawless steps for a perfect marriage, right? Yeah, right. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe him if he tried, right? You certainly would fire me as your pastor if I thought it was that simple. We know better than that. There are no quick fixes. There are no easy answers, especially uh, in a subject like this. But if, if what Paul is saying is true, right, that your marriage, my marriage, it's not about me, it's not about you, right, that sex isn't about you or me, but about, about Jesus, about him, then there, there are three things in this passage that if, if we actually believe them and actually began to live them out, would actually begin to change us. We begin to experience life and, and community so much differently. Three, three things in particular. That marriage is about giving, not taking, uh, that marriage is about holiness, not happiness. And that marriage isn't about our messes, but about his beauty. Let's talk about this. Marriage is about giving, not taking. Now, this, this flows right out of what he's been telling us in, in chapter 6 about sex broadly, right, in, in, in that context. And remember what we've said is that sex is, is a uniting act. This is why it's only meant for the context of, of marriage and why it's still so important even after you're married. That's what Paul says in, in verse 7, or chapter 7. It's, it's a serious act of, of self-giving. So in verse 1, Paul begins... Uh, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So, okay, so far in the letter, uh, Paul has been talking about things he's heard about going on in the church, right? Um, rumors that he's heard, he's been addressing those issues. And now he transitions to talking about the things that they've written to him, right? They've asked him questions in a letter, and Paul is now responding to that. And so they had written, Paul says, it is good for a man not to have sex with a woman. Right, Paul? Right? I mean, that's, that's right, isn't it? Well, why would they think that? I mean, it seems like such a strange thing for us to even, you know, get our minds around. Why would that be such a popular thing there? Well, in many ways, this comes from a very dualistic way of, of viewing the universe, right? Uh, and Plato, who was, who was such a, a popular philosopher, right? Uh, th that philosophy was, was deep in their culture there in the first century uh, Roman area. I mean, he taught, right, that the physical world uh, is at best a shadow, right? That's Plato, right? Plato's cave, you remember that, maybe? Um, Intro to philosophy, right? Um, Plato's cave. It's, it, at best, it's a shadow. At worst, it's an impediment to true spirituality. 
And so you could take that then in two different directions. You could say, okay, well, the body's worthless, and so it doesn't matter what I do, hence the sex with prostitutes. It just doesn't matter. Or you could go to the other extreme and say, well, yeah, the body is worthless, and so we shouldn't indulge it, right? We shouldn't allow it any pleasure. We should, everything should be about self-denial. And so hence the, the people who are saying no sex in the context of marriage. You following that? That's, that's where it comes from. And, and even though Paul addresses that here, that thought continued to be persistent uh, at times in the early church, uh, early Christians who followed uh, the ph- philosophical ideals of Plato, Plato who was, who was not a Christian. And so Paul addresses that here, says that, that's not the way it is, right? And some of us, honestly, some of us here may still feel that way, right? The sex is just sort of a, a necessary evil, just part of living in, in a broken world. Well, that's, that's not from the Bible. That's from, from Plato, Okay. The Bible tells a very, a very different story about sex. And as we look at this, this first part of, of chapter 7 here, uh, Paul, Paul is telling us that Jesus died uh, to make us givers, not takers. Right? That marriage is about, is about giving, not taking. And so when it comes to sex, there are three things that we need to recognize. Uh, that sex is a gift from God. Uh, it is a gift to our spouse. And it is a gift to our marriage. So sex is a gift from God. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, it's not dirty. It's not a necessary evil. It's not just part of living in a broken world. It's a beautiful thing that he has made for our pleasure and our intimacy to show us more of, of who he himself is. And, and while sex is not to be worshipped, I mean, how many times over the last three weeks have we said sex is not everything, right? Don't, don't miss that. It's not to be worshipped. And yet at the same time, sex, like everything else, ought to be a means in which we can worship the one true God in the context of marriage. God invented it, and it's, it's pretty obvious by the way he talks about it in his word that he's pretty darn proud of it. If you read Song of Solomon or Proverbs 5, you kind of got to take a cold shower afterwards, right? Christians cannot be anti-sex. We just, we can't be. Because our God isn't, the story that he tells is, isn't anti-sex. We treat it simply as the precious gift that it is. And we respect the boundaries that he's placed around it, as we've talked about these last couple of weeks. So it's a gift from God. But it's not just a gift from God to you, like personally, like, thanks God, um, now I can, you know, enjoy this. It's not, that's not it. It is a gift to your spouse. That's the second thing. Sex is not about you, right? Marriage is not about you. You don't belong to you anymore. You belong first to Jesus, and second, you belong to your spouse. This is, this is what Paul says. So look at, look at verse 2 here. Verse 2, Paul says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, I mean sexual sin, right, um, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Let me just make an interesting op- observation here. At least I think it's, I think it's interesting. Because uh, sometimes we look at the Bible, right, and, and it's easy to say that the Bible only, uh, Paul or whoever's writing, only speaks about the cultural ideals of that culture in that day, right? And so Paul says the things that everybody in their culture would have agreed with. And, and so we today, living in our culture, why would we listen to what their cultural ideals are? Is that, you following that, right? Or, or to even say, you know, Paul, he's just really down on women, right? We, we hear that sometimes. But you've got to understand here, we, we, I mean, we totally miss this in our culture. For anybody in that, that church in Corinth hearing these words, any man, they would have been deeply offended by these words. 
I mean, they all knew that the wife's body belonged to the husband, right? Women in the first century, they had no rights. For Paul to say that the man's body belongs to her, and even, even the fact that in verse 3 and 4, he both begins and ends with the husband, I mean, that in their, their culture, that just would have been absolutely unthinkable, deeply offensive to the men sitting there. You see, the Bible, I mean, if it's God speaking, right, the Bible's going to offend every culture just in different ways. Because we all have different expectations, different, different things that are true in our culture that weren't true in their culture. But it's going to offend everybody at some point, okay? Because God is speaking, not us. And so Paul says that sex, then, is designed mutually uh, to be a gift to one another. I want to be really sensitive here. Because um, for some of us, it doesn't seem like a gift at all, right? Because there's, there's disappointment in this area, frustration maybe, regret even just downright apathy or laziness. And, and especially if you've been hurt or abused, I'm so sorry, that, that, it shouldn't be that way. And there may be, as we think about this, there may be way more pain than pleasure in your story when you think about this subject. And your, your situation, if that describes you, again, I'm, I'm so sorry, that's, that's part of your history. Um, your situation is probably more complex than we can address in a context like this. But let me just say, there, there is hope, there is always hope. It it doesn't have to be that way. God designed you, created you for more. He designed your marriage for more if you're married. And I I realize that may seem absolutely impossible. Uh, But if that describes you, seek help. Um, Find find somebody to talk to, a counselor. I'd love to to give you some names of people uh, who can help you in this area. You're not alone, um, not for a moment. Um, And don't try to carry this alone either. And here's what Paul is saying. I mean, you don't belong to you, right? Okay, we covered that. Marriage is not about you. Sex is not without you. And, and, and not about you. And so what, he, what he's saying here is that withholding sex is sin. Uh, just as demanding sex is sin, or, or using sex as a tool to get your way, right, or as an opportunity to manipulate, using it as bribery or punishment or any of those things, both men and women, Paul is saying those, that's, that's sin. Or, or even just allowing this area to go completely apathetic in your marriage is sin. Any sex or, or lack thereof, right, that is not an act of mutual, self-giving love is sin. Now, this doesn't mean it's going to be perfect all the time, right? I mean, we need to be realistic. And, and guys, it does not mean that you can have it anytime you, you want, right? Gifts cannot be demanded. We know that, don't we? Gifts also can't be used selfishly or as a tool of manipulation, right? We, we know that as well. So, of course, there are times when it's okay to say, not tonight. But sex is nothing if not self-giving. It's nothing if not an act, one of the ultimate acts of giving yourself away. And this is why it is also a gift to your marriage. Not just a gift to your spouse, but a gift to your marriage as as a whole. Sex is not an end in itself. That's why we talked so strongly against sex outside of marriage the previous weeks, right? That sex is a uniting act, which which makes it, it unites two people, right? It makes it so incredibly valuable to your marriage. And so so Paul, he gets at this in verse verse 5. Um... Yeah, verse 5. He says, uh, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
The word deprive here, it's the same word that Paul used just a couple sections earlier when he talked about the guys who were suing one another, right? Cheating one another, stealing from one another. Paul's saying it's the same thing here. Don't cheat your spouse. Don't, don't cheat your marriage. And for obvious reasons, Paul says, right? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? If your sex life is lousy or non-existent, you're setting yourself up for disaster. I mean, temptation is, I mean, temptation is difficult enough, right? This just makes it so much more difficult, Paul's saying. But it's not just that. It's, just, it's not just a tool to sort of ward off temptation. That's why sex is okay. I don't, think, I don't think Paul is saying that. And we so often miss this, though. Sex is a gift to our marriage because it's meant to be a living metaphor. Again, it's not, a, it's not an end in itself. It's meant to give us a picture of what the marriage relationship ought to be in every single capacity, right? Of, of absolute intimacy, of absolute giving ourselves away in joy to, to one another, in response to one another, in desire for one another. Self-giving joy in the bedroom leads to self-giving joy everywhere else. And self-giving joy everywhere else leads back to the bedroom. That's, that's how God designed it to work. Now, listen here. I need to make a clarification. Maybe I should have said this earlier. Um, especially wives, okay? So I know that I'm a guy. I'm aware of that. Um, you probably are as well. In fact, in this moment, you're probably acutely aware of that. Um, and I'm guessing for, for some of you, It'd be very easy to think, and I, I fully admit this, right? He's just a guy, he's seen it from a guy perspective, right? And so this is, of course, the way, and, and I, I know I am locked into a male way of viewing who I am and viewing this issue and, and all issues, right? Um, if it helps, um, please hear this. Kelly uh, read everything that I am going to say today, as well as uh, a few other women, including a counselor, um, to be able to give me feedback to speak, because I don't, I don't want to be stuck merely seeing this as a guy sees it, Okay. I, I know that's narrow. I know that's insufficient. I want to see this. We need to see this as God sees it. God is neither male nor female, right? So he has all perspectives on this issue, and we need so badly to see it as he sees it. And he has designed sex um, so that intimacy here leads to intimacy there, everywhere, which means that sex is not an optional part of your marriage, not because sex is so great, Good grief, right? Any one of us could live without it. And don't, don't ever forget that, right? We don't need it. But it's important because it, it unites us. God said the two become one flesh. And we need that reminder over and over again, don't we? That we're no longer two independent, uh, you know, isolated individuals, but that God has brought something together. Because our natural tendency, isn't it, is to, is to pull apart in all of our relationships, especially this one, especially the most intimate ones, right? To drift, to move away from one another. The fall has like driven a wedge right in between us in every one of our relationships. And our tendency is to keep moving. I mean, even just look at Adam and Eve, right? Okay, the very first sinners, right? Two seconds after they sin, what do they do? They make clothes for themselves out of fig leaves. They begin hiding from each other. They begin blaming each other. And you and I, we have been hiding from one another ever since. And so of course we withhold. Of course we demand. Of course we just grow completely lazy in this area. We were created for intimacy. But the fall is always driving us away. I mean, don't you feel that? Getting married or not, don't you feel that in your relationship? There's always this movement this way. As I thought about this week, it kind of reminded me of of the movie Gravity or Interstellar. I don't know if you've seen these like space movies, right? Um, but this is what I kind of imagine. Like, if, you're, if you're in space, if there's nothing holding you together, 
inevitably you will drift. You will move apart, right? And you will move apart forever, right? Uh, never ending. That's, that's us. That's what it means to be human in this broken world. We're created for one another, and yet we're always moving away from one another. I love how, I love how Tim and Kathy Keller summarize this. They say, indeed, sex is perhaps the most... That's not, that's not the Kellers. Um, the, the most God-created way, there we are, uh, to help you give your entire self to another human being. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. You must not use sex to say anything less. So according to the Bible, a covenant, marriage, right, is necessary for sex. It creates a place of security for vulnerability and intimacy. But though a marriage covenant is necessary for sex, and don't miss this, this is really important, really insightful. Though it's necessary for sex, sex is also necessary for the maintenance of the covenant. It is your covenant renewal service. Such an interesting image, isn't it? I mean, have, you, have you been to like a, a vow renewal service? A couple does that, rededicating their, their love and their marriage for one another. What they're saying there is that that's what sex ought to be every single time. An act of once again saying, I belong completely exclusively uh, to you. I, I, I am yours. I mean, just imagine if we actually viewed it that way, for better or for worse, till death do us part. And this is, this is why we can never just sort of let this area go. It doesn't have to be perfect or constant, good grief. Unrealistic expectations can be just as damaging, but sex tangibly reminds us that we're one. And we're so stinking forgetful. We need that reminder, and we need it often. This, this is why, for example, two weeks ago, we talked about how sex outside of marriage is so damaging, right? It, it weakens its ability to unite us, right? Uh, the, more, the more often it happens, the more, the more partners you have or, or images, right, that you have, the, the less ha- ability it has to really, truly uh, unite us. We, we weaken it. The same is true with, with lust and porn. And guys... I mean, lust unchecked in your life will destroy you. I mean, real, real sex, real love, by definition, gives, right? But lust, by definition, takes. And if you are training yourself to take there, even if it feels completely impersonal, you are training yourself to take everywhere, in all of your relationships, not least of which this one. And it, it will destroy you. And so before we move on, oh, man, we need forgiveness, don't we? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing most of us here, we have someone we need to apologize to. Or, or even just someone we need to have a conversation with. I mean, I, I need to with, with Kelly. I need God to forgive me. I need she, her to forgive me. And, and where do we need to change? What, what would that look like in your life? Um, maybe, maybe you need help. Can we help with that? Accountability, resources, counseling. Uh, this is just too important. We, we cannot just let this area go. You're not alone here. Marriage isn't, isn't about you. And so ask, how, how can I give myself away today? What would that look like? And, and don't just limit this to the bedroom, right? I mean, marriage, like all of the Christian life, is a daily exercise of giving yourself away. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's who he is, right? And if Jesus has given us everything, if we have all that we need because of him, then we truly can give to other people because we have what we need because of Christ. And we can give ourselves away. Listen, Satan will do anything he can to get you to have sex before you're married. And he will do anything he can to prevent you from having it afterwards. 
And unless you just think that's sort of my male self perspective talking, Kelly told me to say that actually, okay? So you can blame her later, right? She's right. Don't let Satan win in this area of your life. It's too important. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're thinking in this moment, yeah, okay, that's great, Nathan, thanks a lot. Where were you five years ago, right, or whatever? Maybe, maybe you just feel like it's, it's, just, it's too late, it's too far gone. Your marriage is, is too much of a mess at this moment. Uh, maybe you feel like you're the only one giving anything. And that's true. I'm, again, I'm so sorry. Paul is not, uh, he's not telling you to enable destructive behavior in another person. That's never loving. He's not telling you simply to be a, a doormat. So what you're going through, it's not okay. Find somebody to help you with that if that's, if that's your story. And yet, what Paul gets at in the second half here as he begins talking about divorce and remarriage is that even when it stinks, right? Even when marriage is the worst, which sometimes, let's be honest, right? And it hurts to say this. I know that there's a lot of pain in this room. But if marriage isn't about you, it also means that marriage is not about my happiness, but about holiness. It's not about happiness. It's about becoming like Jesus because my greatest need in life is not a good marriage or a decent sex life. My greatest need isn't happiness or personal fulfillment. My greatest need is for someone to rescue me because I've, I've declared war on the God who made me for himself and I deserve nothing but hell as a result. And so what I need is to become like him. What I need is to, is to be made whole, right? Holiness, once again, to be made whole, to, to be who I was always created to be from the very beginning. And if that's true, if that's what we need more than anything else, then maybe, just maybe, we can actually agree with what the Bible has to say about divorce. I mean, it makes sense, right? Paul brings it up here, given all that they're dealing with in those marriages in Corinth. It's no surprise for us either, is it? I mean, there comes a point in many marriages when it feels like your greatest chance of happiness is going to be without that person. Some of you experience it. Some of you will experience, right? Some of it, it's, it's in our past. But what does that matter, really? I mean, if you're with Jesus, if you belong to him, the question isn't, what's going to make me happiest? The question is, what's going to make me like Jesus? What's, what's going to make me truly whole, deep within? What's going, what's going to bring me to the place where I, I, I need to be? Verse 10, for example, Paul. Paul says here, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. I mean, Paul, he's simply paraphrasing Jesus. That's, that's the idea of what he says there. Um, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Which, if you've understood everything Paul said about sexuality, it makes sense, right? Um, if you're united to that person, you can't ununite uh, what God has united together. Just, it, it's not possible. And, and so in the Gospels, when Jesus prohibited divorce, he said that it was permissible, no, never ideal, right, in the, in the context of adultery. Uh, that then there, there was an out, basically. Not ideal, but, but permissible. And Paul here, he, he adds to that. He also says um, that if, for example, two non-Christians get married... Uh, one of them becomes a Christian, uh, and the unbelieving partner, the unbelieving spouse says, you know what, that's too much, I can't do this, right, this Jesus stuff, and, and leaves. Paul says there in that context, okay, it's not ideal, right, it's not the perfect scenario, uh, but it's, it's permissible if that person decides to check out. That's, that's what Paul is saying. 
Now, I don't, I don't think this necessarily means that those are the only uh, permissible reasons for divorce. I think perhaps uh, con- some situations of abuse or extreme circumstances, it might, it might be permissible in those moments. But what is absolutely clear is that God hates divorce. It is never ideal, and it attempts to rip apart what he, is, what he has put together. And so it is clearly not permissible for falling out of love or fighting too much, or getting bored with one another, or having a lousy sex life, or 90% of the reasons we get divorced today. It is sin, plain and simple. And I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize your pain here. Because I know some of you, you've walked this path, right? And you know intimately, I'm not trying to heap guilt on you if you've experienced this. And, uh, and others of you, you're right on the edge, right? You're at a point where you're, you're, you're strongly beginning to consider it. Maybe that is the right way. Maybe that is the best thing for me, and you're, you're, you're dealing with that. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, I'm convinced that there is no place lonelier than a bad marriage. I'm convinced that that's true. It's, it, rips, it rips us apart, doesn't it? And we all want to be happy, and if it's only about your happiness, of course there will come a time when you want to run. But it's not about your happiness. It's not about you at all. Did you, did you notice how holiness is on display in this passage? passage? Paul says that somehow, uh, and I don't, I don't really fully understand what's going on here, but he says that the unbelieving spouse and children are made holy, he says, because of the faith of the believing spouse. I mean, it's kind of a strange idea, right? I don't, I don't think that you know, Paul is saying that they are somehow shoved into being Christians against their will, right? They're sort of grandfathered in uh, to faith. That's, that's not how it works. Paul's not saying that. Uh, but that they're set apart in a unique way. That's what holiness means, Right? In a unique way, they're set apart because in remaining with that unbelieving spouse, um, that, that unbeliever has so much more potential or opportunity to hear the gospel, right? And if that's you, right, if you're, if you're married to an unbeliever, um, that, that, that your spouse, right, has every opportunity, every moment uh, to get, get to see who Jesus is because of you and to see what it means to, to live that out and to, to follow him and, and, and all of that. That's a unique thing. That's what Paul is pointing at. And he says in verse 16, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? What Paul doesn't say is maybe you'll find happiness. Or maybe you'll have a few good laughs. Or he certainly doesn't say maybe it'll be easy. He says maybe it'll be better. Maybe... Maybe you'll become like Jesus. Maybe you or or both of you will become the people that God has created you to be. Because your marriage isn't about you. Again, as as we think about this, we need to, I need to seek forgiveness, right? Because it's so easy to put all of my happiness eggs in that person's basket, right? And to put all of my expectations either on them to fulfill me or them to get out of my way enough so I can fulfill myself. Don't we do that? man, I need forgiveness. And and divorce, it's not the unforgivable sin, of course not, but if that's in your life, have you confessed that? Have you you repented of of whatever led you there, whatever role you happen to play in it? Or maybe that's on the path you're you're on right now. And you know, maybe, maybe you don't even necessarily recognize this, but you know deep down, as soon as, as soon as your spouse stops making you happy, or starts getting in the way of your own pursuit of happiness, you're done. You may not recognize that in the moment, but if you think about that, if you begin to get, get unhappy, you're done, right? You know that. We need to repent of that. It's not about us. Also, what, what needs to change for us? 
maybe even just our expectations, right, or our priorities, even just to wrestle with the question, what do I want more? Do I want to be happy or do I want to be like Jesus? What draws me in more? What do I think about more? What, what do I long for? Of course, let's see, okay? There should be happiness in marriage, all right? I hope this doesn't all sound like, you know, gloom and doom. It's like marriage is the worst. Sorry, just deal with it. That, that's, that's not what Paul is saying, right? There should be happiness in marriage. I'm so happy uh, married to my wife, Kelly. She is the most incredible woman on the planet. I mean, that she puts up with me. I mean, you have no idea, right? I am, I am no peach to live with, I guarantee you, okay? Some of you can imagine, right, how my wife is awesome. But if I am expecting her to provide all of my satisfaction, to be the source of all of my happiness, or to get out of my way enough so I can pursue happiness on my own terms, if that's, if that's who she is, I mean, not only am I doomed to disappointment, right? No offense, Kelly, right? Uh, but what, what could happen in that moment, if, if, I think, if, I, if I say that she's going to be the one to make me happy, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I'm either going to bury her or she's going to bury me, Right? That's what's going to happen. And, and if she is an idol in my life, right, if she is my God, then one day there's a good chance, 50-50, that I'm going to put my God in the ground. Then where will I turn? We, we cannot have those kinds of unrealistic expectations on our spouse. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to you. And it's certainly, it certainly is a denial of the one true God, the one who actually does long to love and satisfy. And so what's just one thing you can do today? to pursue holiness rather than happiness in your relationships. Whatever, whatever that looks like. I mean, maybe it's a kind word that maybe you even feel is undeserved. Or, or a show of, of self-giving love or just respect. Something that stretches you out of, of who you are, that maybe pushes you further than you want to go, but shows that you're, you're pursuing holiness, not, not happiness. The last thing, and this one's short, I promise. Marriage isn't about our messes. It's about his beauty. For as Paul told us earlier on, right, you were, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justice, justified. And as we've, as we've talked these last three weeks, I realize that for some of you, it feels like one long guilt trip, right? I'm amazed you're still here, right, with us, right? Because we know, we know our mistakes. We know how many regrets that we have, the heartaches, even if it's just apathy or laziness or just complete shame, right, and, and regret that we have. We, we carry that. And for some of us, it's so easy to feel like a failure and change feels so far out of reach. But when we began Corinthians, we began talking about the beauty of the cross, didn't we? That God's power to rescue, God's power to forgive, God's power to actually change us. And even just think about it, right? If God can reconcile us to him, right? We who have declared war on him, he, him being the holiest being in the universe, right? If he can reconcile us to him through Jesus Christ, then he can certainly reconcile us to one another. Can't he? I mean, if he can do the one, that's, that's the hard one. Surely he can do that in our relationships with one another, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, this is what redemption means. God taking the messes and making them beautiful. Because if you are his, you are his. And nothing can change that. You don't belong to you anymore. And so you, you can actually give instead of take because that's what Jesus has done, right? He has, he has given up everything to us so that we can know him and have all that we need. And so of course we can give instead of, instead of take. 
And we can pursue holiness instead of happiness because Jesus has, has already, because of the cross, he has declared us holy so that God looks at us now. If you're a Christian, he looks at you as perfect, holy, and beautiful in his sight. And he's in process of actually making that true within us. We can, we can, we can pursue holiness instead of happiness. God promises to be our ultimate satisfaction above anything else. We can be forgiven and we can change. That's, that's why he died. And so your marriage, your body, your sex life, your relationships, yours and mine, it's not about you. It's about so much more. Let's pray and ask God to help us with this. God, I, I pray that you would um, convict us, convict me, God, I pray that we would see our shortcomings but not be paralyzed by them. And that we would see your grace but it wouldn't push us towards laziness. God, I pray that you would um, continually bring us closer together um, in all of our relationships. God, we know we drift apart. God, I know I see it in my own life. I see it in my own marriage. Bring us together and, and use, Lord Jesus, whatever, whatever means um, to do that. God, I, I pray especially for those uh, here this morning who have just really a lot of pain in this issue. Um, single or married, failed expectations, uh, desires that just haven't been met, God, maybe abuse, heartache. God, there's so much pain. God, I pray that you bring healing as, as only you can. And God, I, I pray that we uh, together in all of our relationships, especially in this one that's so intimate, Lord, I pray that we'd be people who give rather than people who take. God, I want that to be true in my life. I want that to be true in my marriage and, and all of who I am because that's what you've done for me. Lord Jesus, be glorified in all these things we pray.